Welcome to The Label Podcast, a show about disability, illness and difference. I'm Lucy. And I'm Alice. And that's Don't forget in this episode, I might swear, Lucy might cry, and you can check out details of the trigger warnings on our website. There we go. Has everybody got a recording thingy? Yeah. yeah. Fab. Okay. So Carrie Ann, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Carrie Ann Knightley. Um, I am a wheelchair user. I'm a, a blogger who focuses on accessible travel travel writer and I head up the marketing team for the National Disability Organisation Access Able, which is how I know Lucy. Yes, she has to put up with me on a weekly basis. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas our listeners are only going to have to do every other week. (laughs) (laughs) Right, so Carrie Ann, can you tell us a bit about your... um, love of accessible travel and where that started was it was it something that you always knew you wanted to do right from an early age or is it something that you've grown into over the years i think i definitely fell into it to be honest it, mm. it wasn't something i envisaged myself doing um i up until my late teens just kind of shunned anything to do with disability from being a young teenager um i'm sure in this there. is that <laughs> you'll hear from future guests again and again um you know i just wanted to be like my friends and and that didn't include being disabled um and so yeah i just cracked on i went to school i went to college um i got a job in a hr department of a local supermarket um which meant i could earn some money as well as do my college course um and then i finished college i needed a full-time job and the only accessible job at the supermarket was working on the checkouts which you know it just wasn't for me it was just i you know sat there doing the whole beep 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 thing and just thinking i need to use my brain i need something that challenges me um my mum found a job advertised in a local paper for a charity that had um, an office space where I lived. Uh, This was a charity that had um, holiday centres around the UK for disabled people who had care needs. They needed some support in their admin team. I applied for the job and the rest is history, really. Um, I I had zero experience working for charities, working in travel or working in disability, but I just kind of winged it. I, I, I took myself into the interview and went, well, you haven't got anybody else in your office who's actually disabled. <laughs> yeah. Use that disability card. Yeah. I know how to speak to your customers. Um, so we went, we went from there, really. Yeah. That, that's how it started anyway. Okay. And have you done a lot of sort of travel yourself and been to a lot of different places? So I think when people hear that I'm a travel blogger, they think that I spend most of my life 
on like Harrowing beaches or whatever, yeah. um, which would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> I think most of my travel, particularly in relation to the blog, is staycation. So UK-based. I have been lucky enough to have a couple of sponsored trips abroad through the blog. Um, I've travelled reasonably well abroad just kind of personally because that's the thing as well, you know. Sometimes I just need to go on a trip and not write about it, actually, and and not post the photos to Instagram or whatever and just have an actual holiday where I'm switched Mm. off. Um, but yeah, there's certainly, I have a, a lot more travel ambition in terms of going to a few more far-flung places than I have done already. So have you got like yeah. a, a bucket list? of? Like yeah, list I mean, of the bucket list trip was supposed to be happening this year. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, my best friend emigrated to Perth in Western Australia um six or seven years ago um basically since then we've been we've been planning a trip to go and see her um for one reason or another it's been delayed a few times it was actually booked for the end of march this year we're gonna go to to bali and we were gonna finish up in singapore it remains the bucket list trip um definitely um we will get there one day but i think it's going to take quite a bit longer before did you get a refund how did you sort it out in the end yeah thankfully i we we had only booked sort of flights really at the point that um flights in an airbnb i think at the point that it had to be cancelled so i was able to get everything refunded so that was one stress that we didn't have to worry about thankfully i tell you what though when you do get on that holiday it's gonna be absolutely amazing isn't it it is, it is. Well, I haven't been my friend for it must be almost three years now. Oh. So um, we obviously, yeah. we, do, we do FaceTime and stuff like that, but it'll be amazing to catch up and see each other, yeah. Definitely, definitely. So with your, like, travelling abroad, how easy do you find it, you know, making sure that you're going to find accessible accommodation and that, you know, the places that you're going to are going to be accessible for you? And, and do you find... You know, are are there places that are better than others? I imagine, you know, going to cities generally is probably better than going to, you know, somewhere a bit off the grid. But then I think about places I've been to Rome and I, I mean, that was a nightmare for me. I can't imagine how somebody in a wheelchair would access a city like that. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I've also been to Rome and I've and I've written a travel guide to Rome for wheelchair users. Um, and it wasn't easy, but I absolutely loved it. It was one of my mm. favourite bits. And I think there is something about separating those two elements as well. Yeah. Because, you know, when you get into the planning process, it's really easy to just have this like narrow view of right I can only go to the place that has this level of accessibility and that and the other and you're not always thinking about what you actually want to get out of a trip Mm. or where you Mm. actually want to go and that's always my advice when people say you know how do you do your planning process and all the rest of it my advice is always of course you have to think about accessibility because well you have to be able to get there but don't let that be the overriding motivation for for your trip or for the destination that you choose. Um, I actually have a travel planner that people can download from my blog. So they follow my process, basically. Mm. Um, it's not perfect because nothing is, um, but it's it's how I book a trip and it, 
it will hopefully be helpful to other people. Um, as with everything I do blog wise, there is always the caveat that I know a lot about my needs as an individual. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's needs are different. And so, you know, I can write and talk about and advise based on my needs, but don't ever think that I'm trying to be some all-encompassing accessibility guru um, because that's it's just impossible actually Mm. Um, i have to be very i go often go away for day trips and holidays with a a very good friend of like a close friend of the family and i have to be very very careful what i say to this close friend of the fact that if i if we're going to tenerife for instance and i'll say i want to go on a boat trip to see the dolphins (laughs) <laughs> or I could say something even more ridiculous than that. And then like three days later, I find myself on a boat to see the dog. It's like, you go going, whether you like it or not. And sometimes I think, I've, I've changed my mind. I don't really want to do this. But no, you're going, you're going. So being able to have, I think, those people around that go, actually, I would really love to do X, Y, Z. Yeah. And then, then remember it and go, oh, well, you're doing this now, whether you like it or yeah. not, because you know, we've organized it. I agree with that. I think, you know, we do as disabled people have a tendency to want to sit within our own kind of self-imposed limitations. And it can be really anxious thinking about doing or trying something that you haven't done before. And there's definitely been things that I've done as part of my travel, sometimes because of the people that I've been with, or sometimes because it's been an organized trip for a blog. Mm where I've done things that I wouldn't normally have felt comfortable with and always really enjoyed them. Like it's never been like, oh God, I wish I'd not actually gone and done snorkeling in the Red Sea or I wish I'd not actually done a wheelchair abseil. I did a wheelchair abseil because um, I was doing some work with BBC and I was, well, I was kind of, I'm more terrified about talking on a BBC news camera or Um, and in the end, I did the interview after the abseil, so all my nerves had disappeared. I don't care. Nothing is terrifying after you've done that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think, you know, going back to is is it easy or is the planning process easy? It's always difficult. It is yeah. always going to be more involved than anybody who doesn't have impairment or disability to think about when planning yeah. um and it's always always a leap of faith you know i i've been working in this arena for 15 years i have heard all of the horror stories i've been to some amazing places but sometimes even i get it wrong sometimes even i book a trip and i get there and i go oh god the room isn't actually accessible or whatever the last holiday that we me and my husband went on before the world closed i had done a load of research and I was really excited because we were going to go hiking and I was really looking forward to it and I had like because again before the world closed down I was training for a marathon and doing all sorts so I was like hiking this is going to be awesome I'm the fittest I've ever been and I was really looking forward to it I'd found a guide who would pick us up from our hotel drive us up there um you know go up the mountain with us and it said this is wheelchair accessible this is disabled accessible and so I thought okay so it's going to be probably walking up a man-made trail that you know they've concreted or something so it's not going to be a hike hike but it's going to be the distance and I'm going to get the views and so that's going to be you know great and we got there and basically we got to 
a car park at sort of two thirds of the way up this mountain and he went here you go then and i was like oh, do we not walk up the mountain <laughs> oh, and no. he was like oh, the, the, this is the trail and he sort of showed it to me and my husband and i took like two steps and i thought no, i'm gonna die <laughs> i am gonna break my ankle and fall down this mountain and so we ended up going and you know we got we got our money back and stuff like that and i but I had to have a cry about it because I was absolutely like really disappointed. I was really yeah. upset because I've been really looking forward to it. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes you can put that planning in yeah. and it just people's understanding of what accessible means, particularly when you're talking on a global level, it's it can be different. 100% yeah I completely agree with that and I you know and I feel that feeling of like that complete disappointment and almost internalizing it and going oh I should have done this better I should have done that better but do you know what do you know what you've got to give yourself a break you've mm. got to you know regardless of what happens regardless of whether it turns out how you wanted it to you're still having a new experience you're still mm. doing different when um when I was at school we went on the annual trip to to Paris um, yeah. to to go and see all the sites, Disneyland Paris, all that kind of jazz. And the week before we were due to go away, the company who normally take care of everything went bankrupt. So we didn't get to go. We were so disappointed that the teacher said, don't worry, we'll cobble together something. We're still going to go. We got there in the dead of night so i went to um went to bed went to sleep got up in the morning and i said to the teacher could you get them to unlock the disabled bathroom which was at the end of this corridor mm. and he went, he went yeah i'll go and get the key went to get the key and the french the nice frenchman i say nice in the most sarcastic way possible um said uh no it's full of garden furniture <laughs> and when he said can you take the garden furniture out he went uh, no I think it's safe to say that all three disabled people on this call <laughs> have had some sort of travel nightmare at some point in their life. I, I think the thing is, I think it's just universal, isn't it? I think nobody ever has a perfect travel experience. No. But mm. I think as disabled people, ours are probably heightened. You know, the disappointments are probably heightened. The, um, the potential for things to go wrong is probably a bit higher. But I, what I don't want is for people to go, oh, well, I'm just never going to travel because mm. my wheelchair might get broken on the plane or I will have to pay a lot of money for insurance or I, what if I get there and the room isn't actually accessible? And do you know what? All of those things have happened to me. I'm not on one yeah. trip, thankfully. <laughs> oh, all of those things have happened to me and I still love to travel. I still, you know, I still take those risks and whatever else because... Mm. It's worth it. It's worth it for that feeling of getting to somewhere and just going, do you know what? Despite all of the crap that was put yeah. in my way, despite all of those barriers, I have got here and I have done it on my own or with support or whatever. And that is just an image. It's so freeing. Like, it's so good for your mental health to just push that comfort zone and feel it so you know yes it's difficult yes it's risky but it's worth it definitely mm. Mm. that's really nice to hear sort of such a 
such a positive outlook because I think it is really scary for a lot of people. Um, you know, particularly if you've got a disability, because you do already feel quite vulnerable, I think. I mean, sometimes yeah. it's scary for me going out and about in this country for days out for places that I've never, never been to before. Because it's sometimes think... it's it's difficult for me, you know, getting out of the house with yeah. my dog. Like my my guide dog's wonderful, but sometimes if I know it's going to be crowded in the town centre. I don't want to go because I know it's going to, I'm going to get anxious. It's going to be difficult. And it's just, you know, if, if you're scared to go out in your local town, the idea of going abroad on your own as well, when you've got support needs, I don't, I don't think I could do it, but mm. I think my husband would be pretty upset if I started going on holiday without him now as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Alice, have you got another question? So I, one of the things that um, we sort of picked up on on some of the, the stuff that you've been saying in the, the form that you talked about was you talked about how, and, and it's interesting, you know, because you've, you've just kind of really pushed there to say, don't, don't be anxious and, and kind of say yes to the things that you're scared of. Mm. Um, but you talked you know, before about, how disabled people can quite often find it hard to say no uh, yeah. and and how it's sort of really important to to kind of live your sort of do things your way and and be true to yourself and I just wanted to yeah. sort of talk to you a little bit about that where that comes from and sort of what that how that has kind of come about for you I think it's about finding out and working out what success looks like for you as an individual, what a successful life looks like for you. And I think that not saying yes to too much or learning how to say no, but also sometimes saying yes to something that is outside of your comfort zone. I think that those two things can coexist. I don't Finding think- Finding a happy balance, isn't it? I don't okay. think that it's the case of one or the other. I do think it's balance. I think, you know, I'm learning at the age that I'm at and with the work, I do a lot of work on my mental health and the key cornerstone of all of that for me is balance is um but you know to, to to answer your question in terms of where has that come from it's actually come from me intensively spending a lot of time in therapy spending a lot mm. of time speaking to counsellors my default response to stress or to difficult situations to things that make me feel uncomfortable has always been to work to distract okay. myself to work or to write or to be posted on social media to constant hustle has always been um my, my default coping mechanism actually um and you know in the last couple of years that's really become a problem it has resulted mm. in burnout it has meant that i haven't necessarily addressed some of the more difficult things that have happened in my life and you know these things only stay buried for so long um and i think you know we we exist in a culture now with social media and with you know influencers and bloggers and all of that sort of thing where we're all expected to be proving our worth to be constantly mm. um to you know to be constantly on the go to be productive to be providing um a service to society to be contributing mm. and that's definitely something that i've fallen victim to in the past i think you know this year especially 
because things have changed quite quickly, you know, sometimes from one day to the next, even still now, we don't really know what's, what's, you know, what's going to happen next week. Um, and that I, I find myself with a lot of free time, find myself with trying to fill that free time, trying to, trying to hustle, trying to write, trying to improve my blog, trying to say, oh, well, what do I do? How, how am I going to be a travel blogger if I can't travel? What do, you know, and um i'm just in a place now where i feel that i can say no where i feel that when people approach me to do a project or to work with them or whatever i can sit there and go what's my motivation for doing if i were to say yes what would I be motivated by? Would it be because I love the sound of the project and I really want to get involved? For example, this podcast. Would my motivation be purely financial? And that is a valid motivation, but did, you mm. know, if that, if that is the case, then do I actually need it? Or am I just doing this simply to be seen and to be... Yeah and mm. to seek approval from other people mm. and i think you know it's really it's it's not when we when life is busy when we're making tens of these decisions every hour it's really difficult to examine the motivation behind the decision that you've made but one of the benefits for me of things slowing down have been that i've been able to sit back and go what's what's this about you know where is this coming from and i think i had for most of my life been a, a person who sought out the approval of other people um a people pleaser most definitely probably a perfectionist definitely an overworker and all of those things i am now continually working on to try and achieve that balance because it's kind of you don't want that perfectionism to tip over into well i have to say no to everything now because i've i've said that i'm not going to seek approval or uh you know i have to i have to make sure that i um i i only get that from within and i don't post on social media and i and i, and I don't get those likes it's it's balance and it's mm. many many gray areas and i think it's about sitting there and saying Do you know what i am imperfect i'm a human being and that's all right and I think that one of the things that's really interesting that you sort of you you mentioned quite early on in that is that this is a universal issue. This isn't just an issue for people with disabilities. This is, you know, that that need to get approval, that that reassurance of, you know, being seen by the outside world is something that I think people are increasingly experiencing. And um, you know, the the idea that as a disabled person, you already have kind of physical barriers in a lot of ways. It's, this is one more thing for people to deal with. But I like it's almost, you know, it's become the, a, a bit of a universal unifier to for, I think, for our generation. Um, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm just grateful that I'm not 13 and yeah, all of this absolutely. social media is happening. Me too. I, I think it is a universal experience, but I think, you know, I do think that disabled people are kind of further conditioned to feel this way, to feel like we need to seek the approval of other people 
you know. Well, I definitely think that disabled people have that added pressure to prove themselves because they are often in rooms with, you know, able-bodied people who, um, you know, they're expected to, to do. When I was, I was saying this to you the other day, Alice, when I was at college and I was in a mainstream setting for the first time and I had to get work done, production files and stuff because I was a media student, I used to have to get production files. Well, I can't be, a, I, you know, I had to partake, participate, not partake, participate in the production, but I can't use a camera because when a camera's set to the right height, it's too high for me. And, I, you know, I can't do lighting. I can't do sound because I'm too short and all this business. So what I did do was I created the biggest production files known to man that was so heavy and everybody who was in class used to think I was a swat because, you know, I just loved doing paperwork. I was always seen as a bit of a nerd, really. And it wasn't that. It was because I was proving myself that I was worthy enough to be on the course. Do you know what I mean? It's that trying to work hard. And, you know, everybody was really worried about burnout and stuff. And it's only now, really, now that I'm in a job that I absolutely adore and love to pieces, that I'm starting to calm down and go, do you know what? Just just take time. I mean, how many conversations have we had, Carrie-Anne, where you've gone, Lucy, it's all right. It takes you two days, two weeks, calm down. It's fine. You've got, you, you, we can do this. It's fine. You don't have to do it within 45 minutes. Absolutely. Of me, of me sending you an email. I go, I've done it. I've done it. Absolutely. Yeah, I do. I think, you know, it is, it is definitely a universal experience and social media and the pressures that that brings can only add to that. And that is a huge shame. But I do think that we are conditioned as disabled people to want to appear, to want to fit in. To You know, like I said earlier, I um, I went to mainstream school throughout my childhood. And, you know, the majority of my non-disabled friends were absolutely wonderful. But arriving at a mainstream secondary school and suddenly being surrounded by hundreds of children who've never seen a disabled person their own age and who want to put you in this very specific box. That's that's a difficult thing. And that led to me essentially modifying my behaviour so that other people would like me. And that stuck. And that went on for a long, long, long time. That's, I mean, that's a very similar to my experience. I went to a mainstream school, but because of the nature of my disability, you know, I, I pass for not disabled very easily mm. and so in the same way I had to have those moments where you know I would suddenly find that I had a, a need an accessibility need and that started to make me sort of appear different to my peers mm. and I did really do that you know changed my my behavior changed the way that I more than anything changed the way that I, I felt about myself and and dealt with my accessibility needs and my feelings about my disability I really internalized those as going well this is this is because I'm different this is my fault because I'm different whereas you know if there had been that bridge already built to provide me the you know access to the things that I need and there had been that acceptance I think amongst my peers who didn't have disabilities 
it would I would have turned into a different person. I'm not saying I dislike the person I am. I'm in fact yeah. I'm very proud of myself and, and what I've done. Um and actually a lot of that is because like you carry on, I've had to have a lot of therapy to get to this point. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and I think similar. I think I passionately believe that there should be a dedicated mental health support for you know disabled children who are coming of age who are absolutely because i don't get me wrong that is a horrible time for everybody i don't know i've never met anyone who enjoyed their early teenage years and who really i really enjoyed being a 13 year old (laughs) horrible horrible no we we have so many extra things to contend with Mm. you know trying to find out who you are in the context of when when everybody else expects you to be something else and also carry on as well you know as a disabled child when you're at you know when you are going through the system as a disabled child there is so much support you can't move for people clambering to get at you and then you get to teenage age and then all of a sudden just ever so slowly it starts to back away a bit and just to go oh no we don't we don't deal with that anymore yeah your experience is very different to my experience lucy they were like (laughs) i was just basically dropped in a mainstream school and they went what do you mean you can't see? Why don't you go over there and do this instead? And I was <laughs> like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, say to you, go and play netball. We'll shout your name as we throw a ball at your face. Um, my, my experience was similar to Lucy in that I had a, a lot of support for my medical condition right up mm. until the age of 16. But I, d- I don't remember at any point. I mean, you know, this was the 90s. So we just didn't talk mm. about mental health. We yeah. just, mm. that wasn't a thing that you spoke about. And... You know, I I might have, had I had the correct mental health support at that point in my life, I, I feel like, my you know, perhaps my 20s might have been a bit of a happier time and I might not have been quite so plagued with anxiety and things. That yeah. said, you know, and I, have, and I have done a lot of therapy and it's not always easy, but I genuinely really enjoy that journey. Like, yeah. I'm actually, I, I feel like I'm privileged to be able to understand that it's not something that I have to do because there's anything wrong with me. It's just something that's really beneficial to my life. And I think self-awareness is amazing. If you can understand your own motivations and, you know, understand what your emotional needs are, even if you're not able to meet them for yourself, if you're able to kind of look at them and go, this is what I need, then you can surround yourself with the right people and get the right tools to be able to meet that those needs somehow. And I think if we were all doing that across the world, it would be a much happier place. My friend and I have this thing where we, you know, we always say, I just think everyone should be in therapy. Absolutely Mm -hmm. everybody should have at least one or two counselling sessions where they just go, do you know what, this, this is what it's about. Because, yeah, being, being able to learn more about who you are and what makes you work and, and you know, as, as, as Alice said, your own kind of motivations and self-awareness is just such a powerful thing. And, um, and it's something that I do really think is a privilege. Mm. But there's such a stigma around it. I think, you know, everybody still thinks... It, you, it's going to be you know you're going to be going to see somebody 
like Sigmund Freud, you're going to be lying on a couch and they're going to tell you that secretly you wanted to do stuff to your mum. And it's not, <laughs> it's not like that at all, no. you know? And I think, I think that's one of the, the barriers to kind of mental health that really needs to get broken down is that recognition that actually counseling and therapy it's it's not easy like you said but it's it's not what people think it's going to be it's not about being stripped down to the bone yeah. it's about you know just looking at yourself in a slightly different way and being able to take a step back sometimes and i think yeah. i think as as well um some disabled people i know i'm guilty of this are can occasionally put a brave face on things you know like keep smiling everything's fine it's all right everything's yeah. fine I mean, yeah. I, a few yeah. years a few years ago, I went through a really bad time before I started work with Accessable. I went through a horrendous situation with my old job, and it just completely floored me, and it knocks my confidence so much, so much. And I can remember going to the. I was having all sorts, like I got kidney stone problems, and everything was just. I wasn't. I wasn't in a very good place and I can remember going to the GP and sitting with the GP and him saying are you all right and I just burst into tears and I well once I whilst I was crying I was thinking oh no like stop crying stop crying stop crying and he said he said Lucy you have an awful lot on your plate that a lot of people don't even give a second thought to just if you need to just let it out, let it out. You don't have to keep this smiley, smiley face on all the time because people, you think people might think you're this miserable, disabled person who's sad with their lot. You're not sad with your lot. You just got a lot to deal with. You're just human, yeah. actually. You're exactly. just, and I yeah. think that, I think this goes back to what I was saying about, you know, the power of saying no. And that, you know, there is there is this quote that is, no is a complete sentence. Mm -hmm. if somebody asks you to do something and you don't want to do it you don't actually have to justify why you don't want to do it you can you can just say no and I you know I I think the authenticity in that that really speaks to what you've just said Lucy because yeah. you know it, it's again it's about are we putting a brave face on because we want to do what other people expect of us or because we want to um we want to seek the approval of other people because that makes us feel good mm. whereas actually if we were if we were just authentic if we were just actually honest about how we felt and we were able to have an honest and open conversation we'd come away feeling so much better we might not Absolutely. make that person feel better but yeah that's not our job no well and i think i think there's definitely still in society that sort of expectation that people with disabilities are miserable and bitter and sad about their lot in I life i think do you know alice i think you've hit the nail on the head there i think a lot of people who have they they can't they feel they can't show a weakness because you know if we're sad and we're sad for a bit about something that's really, you know, hurtful and quite painful to go through. If we're sad on the out to the outside world, everybody's going to think, well, I was right anyway, wasn't I? Because those disabled people, they're, dis they're sad because they're disabled. And it's not necessarily because I can't walk that I'm sad. It's because, you know, I'm in pain or I'm exhausted because I've had a night awake because I can't sleep. It's nothing to do with the fact I can't walk. And mm. yes, 
that can feel quite you get you know i get days sometimes where i get quite frustrated with myself but that's not sadness i'm just frustrated because i think you know just give me a break it's not i'm not sad i'm just i just need a bit of a rest sometimes do you know what i mean and be nice to myself yeah and so many of the things that can cause us to be sad about being disabled are things like well i'm sad because i can't get into the same place as all my friends because it's not accessible the things that make me sad are when i go into shops and i can't find what i'm looking for because they've moved things and the labels are all too small for me to read and mm-hmm. i i'm disorganized so i forgot my pocket reader and things like that that's what makes me sad that's what makes me frustrated yes you could say that's me being sad because of my visual impairment but actually that's me being sad because there are things in the world that I can't access because of my visual impairment. Yeah. And I think those are two very different things. Yeah. And I think, I think that's a very powerful distinction. And I think, you know, again, just going back to that human element if you know, we, we experience the full range of emotions mm-hmm. just like any other person yeah. in the world mm-hmm. would do. So we're allowed to be sad. We're allowed to be pissed off. We're allowed to be bitter. We're allowed to be whatever, you know, we're also really happy sometimes. <laughs> Because yeah. believe it or not, I can use a wheelchair as my main mode of transport and also experience happiness. We were talking. <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, weren't we, Alice? About how you know pe- what makes non-disabled people so scared of disabled people. I mean, if you look at it, we, you know, sometimes you do think to yourself, "We must be as contagious as coronavirus," <laughs> because. They like, oh no, I don't know what to do. What do I do? What do I do? And we, you know, is it because they think we're going to talk about disability issues all the time? Because that is way down on our list of priorities to talk about. Like, I want to talk to you about well, what's your favorite gin and all that kind of stuff before you get to why don't my legs work? It it feels a little bit like, and this is, I'm sure, going to offend some people, <laughs> but you know, sometimes. I don't know if this is how this I get talked to by strangers a lot. There's something about having a guide dog that makes people think, I'm gonna talk to this person. And I will start up a perfectly harmless chat with you know, someone will be asking me about dog and I'm like, This is all fine. And then they'll be like, Have you got some time to talk about Jesus? And I'm like, No, no, actually I haven't got any time to talk about Jesus. (laughs) And and that's where I Why am I laughing? Because that has to be that's what I think people are people are worried we're gonna go up to you got some time to talk about disability. Yeah, you know what? maybe. I firstly, I don't know a disabled person who that hasn't happened to. I genuinely <laughs> don't know a disabled person without a story of prayer being offered. Oh, and I yes. well I have I have two favourites that stick in my mind, my two favourite stories of having prayer forced upon me um well one of which happened in the ready meal aisle of marks and spencer in at london euston station um and it's always when i'm having a really good day i'd had like i'd been at meetings i'm going to dress i'd really like to have my hair done i'm like i'm just gonna grab some dinner grab some gin and a tin for the train you know it's all good and this guy he's kind of he's kind of just looking at me and i'm like like, has he read my blog? Is, does he recognise? Yeah, like, is, is he going to tap me up? Like, my hair does look good today. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, what? And he said, um, 
he said, excuse me, madam. Yeah. God has told me. No, no, it was, I'm a Christian man. So the alarm bells started. Um, God And God has told me that he would like me to pray for you. Mm. Personal message service there, isn't it, really? That's, uh, that's quite impressive. Yeah. Yeah, can you can you tell God that I could really do with a few extra quid at the moment? Um, and if he's taking messages, can he do some I, promotion for our podcast, please? Yeah, yeah, and and also can can he ask my nan where she left her diamond earrings because I wanted some? <laughs> my first thought was like, sorry, mate, but you're clearly the one who's hearing voices, so. <laughs> <laughs> maybe in this miraculous he- healing cue you want to like skip ahead because yeah. sounds like you need a bit more help than I do actually um, and because this was London like because whenever this happens I'm on my own right yeah. so I'm like, because this was London I'm looking around me going so, like somebody must have heard that come on <laughs> come on nothing nothing at all and you know i don't want to offend anybody if if religion is in your life and it is helpful to you and it gives you comfort then that is a wonderful wonderful thing but please do not force that onto other people and do not assume that just because somebody has an impairment which is visible to you that they want to get rid of that impairment no you know absolutely i don't want to be healed Thank you very much. No. But, and that's fundamentally what that message is, is, isn't it? It's, I'm going to pray for you because you're broken. Yeah. And God, I want God to terrible. fix you. Yeah. And then the second one, so that, and these are both quite on brand because they were like travel settings. So the first one was in a train station, Marks and Spencer. The second one, um, I go swimming to a local hotel leisure club. I love to swim. Um, and I always go in the sauna afterwards as a bit of a like a wind down. Now, I think people who talk to strangers in the sauna are weird. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. No, no. You th- nobody talk to me. Don't no. look at me. Right. Leave me alone. I, I don't want my husband to talk to me when I'm naked. <laughs> Never mind random strangers. <laughs> I, even taking disability out of the equation... Just, just don't, don't do that. It's weird. And like, I'm always like lying there on the bench, like with my eyes shut. I'm giving off every possible vibe of do not talk to me that I can. And this chap still goes, can I, can I ask you a question, which I hope won't offend you? Which you already know is going to offend you. Here we go. And I thought, well, you know, maybe he just wants to know a bit more about how I managed to swim or something. And I, I don't, I genuinely don't mind that. Apart from the fact that we're in a sauna and this is inappropriate. <laughs> has, has anyone ever offered to pray for you? Oh, man. And I, and I was just really honest and I said, look, religion is, is not something that is in my life. Um, and... I don't want to be prayed for. Thank you. I'm no. very happy as I am. And he said, oh, well, yeah, I've, I've seen you here doing your swimming. You, you obviously cope very well. And I thought, let's just leave this conversation here. <laughs> We're just going to go around in circles. I, I was once, when I was a kid, uh, approached by a lady with grey hair who told me uh, God had forgiven me, everything was going to be all right, and she gave me a pack of Maltesers. 
I mean, I could get on board if they if if they all handed out treats. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say if people are going to start coming up into me, coming up to me in the street, and be like, "It's really sad that you're blind. Here, have some chocolate. Have <laughs> some fruit pastels." Um, yeah. So what have you what have you done to be forgiven for? Well, exactly. I don't know. I do not know. I do not know. Like I don't know. Maybe it was a bad fashion choice in the nineties. I don't know. But um. <laughs> and then, and then when again, again, when I well, quite recently, my mom used well, she, yeah, she used to go and have a haircut in a local town near us. So she would go and have a haircut, and I would sort of wander around the shops waiting for her, and you know, get back in the car and come home again. So whilst I was wandering around in the shops, um, I was coming out of Marks and Spencer's and I've got a bag of stuff, and I was pushing myself. Now it looked to the onlooker, it may have looked like I was struggling. But I wasn't. I was managing. I was fine. I was all right. I was all right. And I got this bag and this bloke comes up to me and he still stands in front of me and he said, let me help you. And I said, no, no, it's fine. I've got, I've got, I know it looks like I'm struggling, but I'm absolutely fine. And he went, no, no, let me help. And before we could finish what he was saying, next thing I knew, his hands were on my thighs. And I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to pray for you. I was like, oh, Oh, my goodness. Can you get your hands off me, please? And he went, no, I'm going to pray for you. I said, get your fucking hands off me. Um, to which he sort of, like, let go, because he realised I wasn't pissing about. He let go and ran off. And then as I was walking out of the shopping centre, because I thought, I don't want him following me. I'm going to, like, leave. And as he was walking, as I was walking out of the shopping centre, an older man and a woman... This would have gone over my head if it had been any normal circumstance, but I'd just had, you know, Handy McHanderson put his hand Reverend on my legs. Handy McHanderson. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and this older man said to his wife, within earshot of me, oh, look at that. Don't you think somebody should have put her out of her misery? And I went, I thought, just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep And I thought, do you know what? No, I'm not going to keep walking. So I went back. I don't know what possessed me, but I went back. And I went, excuse me, sir. I don't know if you realise, but I just heard every word you've just said about me to your wife. And I don't know what part of me looks like I've given up. But I can assure you I haven't. I then called him the worst swear word there is twice. And I was like, oh, stop it. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, where's that come from? And then I turned to his wife and I said, I do not know what you have done in your life to end up with a man who is that vile and that disgusting. And she looked mortified. But he, this man just got a smirk on his face. And I just walked away from him. But I was just like, oh, I went back into Marks and Spencer's because I felt more safe in Marks and Spencer's than I did outside of the shop. I went and sat and cried by the Percy Pigs waiting for my mom because I was like, Mom! She's like, what? I was like, there's been some horrible men. She's like, what do you mean horrible men? I was like, well, one man put his hands on me and one man said that they should have put me out of my misery. But you just, it, it doesn't happen very often these days. But when it does, I think it's more shocking now these days when it happens because you're like, I can't believe. I mean, you know the people out there, don't you, still to this day? So that story is a little bit off topic, but that story reminds me very much of something a friend of mine was telling me recently. Mm. A friend of mine, her best friend has been with her other half for a little while and he's sort of in the process of moving in a bit 
before he made that sort of big final leap to move in, my friend's oh. friend decided she's going to get herself a dog. It's locked down. She's sad. All of this. She wants to get herself a dog. So she goes off and she, she goes and she finds this litter of puppies and she falls in love with this one dog who's only got three feet. Okay. And she adores him and she loves him and she brings him home to show her bloke and her bloke goes we can't have that dog i'm not going out with a dog like that look at him because he's only got three feet and she was like legitimately i've known this dog for five minutes i will pick this dog over you sort yourself out <laughs> yeah but no. it's just it's that's it a red just, flag oh yeah definitely but yeah, it's just really it's just proof that it's that difference you know wouldn't even go out with a dog with three legs like what if that had been that what if they'd had a child who like you know like lucy who was born early and so has cp you know like that's something you can have absolutely no control over what's he gonna do go oh i'm not gonna take that child to the park can we have a can we have another one please yeah can we try can we try again is there any I'm, way we can put her back in? <laughs> you know what, I, what, is, what I think about those couple of stories, which is what I often think about Twitter these days, yeah. is that not everybody has to have an opinion on everything. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Sometimes, and I catch myself with this, right, because I'll see whatever's kicking off on disability this week because there's always something isn't there yeah um, always oh oh that's what i think about this and i'll start typing out an angry tweet and then i'll go just stop just stop because all you're doing is adding to the noise like yeah. you're, you're, not, you're not actually doing anything that's going to benefit mm. anyone else for a start you are talking in an echo chamber because that's what social media is people follow yep. people like them um, but I think, you know, that I think the same about, about those two men, well, three men that we've just spoken about. <laughs> sometimes your opinions just aren't needed. Just mm-hmm. yeah. 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 It's one of the, the, there are occasions where I'm like having a disability comes in handy mm. and I only use Twitter on my phone and Twitter on my phone, like to be able to see it, I have to zoom in and magnify and I can't magnify my keyboard and my bit the screen. W- the screen at the same time. Yeah. So I can either see what I have said or see what I am typing. And so quite often I will get, start typing a message and go, oh, I cannot be asked with this. Yeah. So it's a really good way of making me go, do I re- can I really be bothered to respond to this message or yeah. to this tweet or whatever is it is it worth the spoons basically and yeah. you know what it's it's not most yeah. of the time i know exactly what you mean and i think that's that's kind of where i'm coming from with it but just from a point of view of you know what you just don't have to be this reactive all the time no. it's, it's really bad for your mental health it's much nicer to just ignore it i if somebody came to me at like and asked my opinion on something then i would tell you yeah i think like i mean it's a bit rich for us to sit here and say that when we're doing a podcast which is basically (laughs) us talking about our experiences and our opinions (laughs) but i yeah it's and i just find myself thinking what like 
what good could you do if you put that energy somewhere else yes that that exactly i mean i do think that the two the two things are different because you know you've you've set this project up with the specific aim of sort of challenging other people's perceptions and you know shining a light on some of the stuff that we don't always talk about i think the the trend on social media and it goes back to that approval seeking that wanting to be seen that we want lots of people to hit that little love heart button mm. you know and and so that you know it, it means that often particularly in disability circles we're expected to be an expert on whatever's happening in the news around disability this week i think it does help if you have got a bit of a niche area that you want to talk about within disability because if you just say all i want to do is talk about disability online then you are like fighting stakes because it just one pops up after another after another whereas if you, you know it, we we were don't we we carry on with people who are passionate about certain specific issues and i think that that helps when you are being a campaigner because you are focused on you your passion is on one particular area of yes. expertise so i think that that helps but if you are an average disabled person i think having somebody say oh well you must be an expert because you, you know it's that thing is it? it's a bit like that thing where somebody somebody sees you in a wheelchair and goes my aunt sister's brother-in-law <laughs> dog is <laughs> yeah do, do you do you know do you know them like no <laughs> No, no, believe it or not, we don't all know each other. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And I think, you know, the thing, the thing particularly about online activism is that when you are a disabled person who also campaigns around disability issues, mm. it's really difficult to, to draw that line between mm. being carry on the online activist and just carry on the person who wants to have a day off. And so <laughs> that leads to you never having a day off, actually. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier. I, I question sometimes how effective online activism can really be when often we are speaking in an echo chamber. We are mm -hmm. all sharing the same messages to people who agree with them. You know, 95% of my followers will be other disabled people. The mm -hmm. other 5% will be my family and friends. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very rarely reaching people outside of my own sphere. And that doesn't mean that what I do isn't worthwhile. You know, I'm I'm still helping people. I'm still putting information out that people find helpful, but I'm not necessarily um, changing changing attitudes or changing the world in such a big way. And I think sometimes you have to prioritize what you need as an individual over mm. what the disabled community needs. And I think, you know, one of the things that it is worth kind of reiterating here is that we've and it's something that me and Lucy were talking about earlier is that we've we don't we don't have the expertise across the board. We all have our own individual experiences. So, you know, if you're passionate and you are sharing things on Twitter and you are, you know, campaigning online, you are going to reach some people who don't know and some people who yeah. who have different experiences and there's no such thing as being too educated about these things no but i do absolutely agree that it is 
the majority of the people who, yeah, the majority of the people who are concerned about equal opportunities are not the people that should be being concerned about equal opportunities. Yeah. You know, then, I, then yeah. I agree. I definitely don't want to dissuade anybody from campaigning and I don't want no. to shame anyone for doing that. I think, you know, if, if that's your bag and if you love it, then absolutely go for it. We, with Without people to campaign and to spread the message and whatever, we would we would certainly not be as far down the equality road as we are mm. but i think my you know my advice is just just don't don't let it take over don't let it become you and i think as well from my point of view i think being online and being an approachable face on social media that who is open about their disability and you know will answer questions i think that in itself is you know there's a time and a place for it I don't want you asking questions every day of the week. But when I say, like, has anybody got any questions they'd like to ask me? I think being able to be as open and as honest as you feel comfortable with is going some way to breaking down barriers. If, you know, if you say, like, it's not the same for everybody, but this is my experience of, you know, whatever. I mean, and sometimes when I ask that question on social media, it's often the questions are often like, oh, what's your favourite clothes shops? You know, mm. nothing to do yeah. with my disability, but it's they. You know, you. I think being an being that sort of friendly face, because I think again, non-disabled people can often be a bit put off because they don't want to offend us. They think we're going to like cry every five minutes as soon as anybody mentions the fact that we're in a wheelchair or we've got a disability. That they think we're going to like break down and be like about as strong as a wet piece of paper when actually that's not the case is it we are used to these stupid questions however stupid they may sound we are used to them i i think there is a distinction there for me though so Mm. like my my wheelchair looks quite different to other wheelchairs because i use a power pack that's quite rare and stuff like that so people are quite often checking it and they're like oh Oh, that's a cool, that? isn't it? Yeah. And you know what? If people want to ask me questions because my wheelchair looks cool, I'm really happy with that. It cost me ten thousand pounds. I want to talk about it. Do you know what I mean? Jesus Christ! <laughs> yeah. um, that's, that's how I feel about my wedding. You know, it cost yeah. me ten thousand pounds. Fucking talking about it for the next <laughs> ten years. You know, come and ask me about the cool wheelchair because it's cool. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But but do not do not come at me, you complete stranger, with what's wrong with you then, love. Yeah. Oh. <sighs> what happened to you? Just because you know sometimes it's entertaining because you know we can have a little fun with it. But I and I don't want any disabled people, disabled person, to feel pressure to share details of their diagnosis or their mm-hmm. disability with complete strangers just because a complete stranger is curious so my my husband is non-disabled and works in a a very male orientated environment full of other non-disabled people and they have been a little bit curious um about about me shall we say and you know it was all the questions of the like when they when they asked the question without asking the question the the what what your your wife's at the what what (laughs) Yeah, so you'll see the wheels, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he said, "Oh no, no, it's nothing like that." 
Um, I'm just very well endowed. I probably made it sound a bit more polite than the words he used. That's amazing. <laughs> That's brilliant. That is brilliant. Yeah, so I think there is a distinction between, you know, absolutely ask me a question about my awesome wheelchair mm-hmm. or about, you know, how do, are you managing all right in this building with access or whatever, but but don't expect me to divulge my medical records to mm. a stranger. Or your personal life, absolutely. you know? I mean... That is another one. My my friends are, they are very used to people sort of saying, so uh, so your friend, um, what what happened? What happened to her? Like, and uh, and you know my 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 best friend, bless him, he uh, when he's taken when we've gone to the pool, well, so taken me out like he's doing me a favour. When we've gone to, <laughs> when we've gone to the pool, it's, it's probably because I've kicked off because he's not taken me anywhere for a while. Um. But when we've gone to the pub, I have had we have had people behind the bar go, um, should she be drinking in her condition? And he's like, she's not pregnant. It's her legs that don't work. It's not, there's nothing else like. Um, and he goes, have you tried taking a drink off her? She bites if you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. But um, he just, he, and it, but my friends get far more wound up about, um, yeah. about oh, yeah. things happening to me than I do. Like yeah. he, he will notice people staring more than I do. I know that people stare, but I don't tend to notice it anymore. Because we have to pick our battles. Because you yeah. know, every every disabled person gets to a point in their life where they realise that if they got angry every time something stupid like this happened, mm-hmm. spend our whole lives being angry. Mm. And- oh yeah. yeah, and that just perpetuates that stereotype yeah. that yeah. we're angry and bitter. I definitely had to educate my husband when I first met him of like you know we can't campaign every time an automatic door isn't working (laughs) (laughs) it's a ramp like off angle a bit like yeah no it's um people yeah my my friends will go can you see how he's staring at you and I'm like yeah but it's not just leave it it's fine he's like no but he's proper good I'm like yeah just leave it just leave it I want to go to the pub just leave it (laughs) (laughs) he's like yeah no, my, yeah. my biggest thing that I face on a almost daily basis when I go out with my guide dog is people asking if I'm training her because she's just quite a young looking dog. And, uh, and yeah, it's people saying, oh, are you training her? And I go, no, she's my guide dog. And they'll quite often, there's this kind of combination of, oh, you, you look young and you don't look blind. And I'm really worried about the day that people stop asking me whether I'm training her because yeah. it makes me feel like it's everybody going, Oh, you look really old. <laughs> because if I look young, I must be doing it for a, for a job. I can't be blind and young. No, of course not. It is okay. really cool when that happens, isn't it? That reminds me of a time when I was on a train. I I used to have to go down to, to the office once a month. and my It was like Friday, train home, rush hour, always full of drunk people. And I would usually mm-hmm. just be like sitting working because I'm like... Well, like, um, yeah, I'm going to have a gin, let's be honest. But also, I've got a three-hour train journey and a load of work to catch up on. And um, there was this guy, he was just, oh, he was just pissed and being a nuisance. He wasn't being particularly offensive, but he was just like, oh, talk to us then, love, you know. Do you want a beer? Do you want an animite? No, no, I'm working. Like, carry on with yourself. Leave, <laughs> leave me. 
and I, I, when I get on the train, depending on the direction that I'm traveling in, I will quite often transfer to the train seat because I can't sit backwards. I can't face away from the direction of travel. It makes me travel sick. And um, also, the disabled seating area is often near the toilet. Which yes. Stinks, so. Yeah, especially um, on a Friday night at train exactly. drugs. So I'm contending <laughs> with all of this, and I've like I've transferred out of the chair. I'm writing emails. I've got my gin. I'm quite happy with life. If only this guy would leave me alone. And and then and then he starts touching the wheelchair, oh, which, is empty, which is empty, and on the other side of the table. And I'm like, I'm seeing red at this yeah. point. I'm like, you have no idea how much that thing cost. Do not do it. And I started saying something of that effect to this man, and he went, "Oh, is it yours?" Uh, yeah, and it was like the penny penny drop. Like he he well, he instantly stopped being rude to me and started. Did he? Yeah, yeah. He, like stopped trying to goad me or whatever because clearly it's all right to to intimidate a young woman on her own on the train unless she's disabled. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, just it was like penny. Like he couldn't fathom that I was like sat there, you know, in a suit, writing some emails, looking professional, commuting home on a Friday, and also disabled. The the yeah. two just and he and he basically just walked away. Yeah, it, I mean, I it definitely it can come in useful sometimes. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> that disability card again. Yeah, mm. we've got to work it to our advantage where we can, haven't we? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, I think we've we've talked about a lot of different things here, and you know, we we did in the form that we sent you out, Carrie Ann. We sort of said, is there any particular messages or anything that you'd like to really get out there? And I think you've you've covered a lot of it. But was there anything that you really wanted to? You know, what would be your soapbox? What hill do you want to die on? Is yeah. there anything you, you really want to say here? I I, hmm, I guess like if we're, I'm thinking about the context of the podcast and the kind of the labels and all of that sort of thing. And I guess, you know, the labels that society place on us. And I think in everything that we've spoken about today and all of the experiences that we've got across, it is that there isn't black and white, that we don't fit into any box, actually, because we're all, you know, we're all very different people. But just because I'm a disabled person doesn't mean I can't also be this type of person or that type of person. Doesn't mean I don't want to work on my mental health. Sometimes it means I'm sad. Sometimes it means I'm happy. Often my emotions have absolutely nothing to do with my disability. And, you know, life is challenging and stressful. And the the point on that challenging and stressful list that my disability is, is right down the bottom rung. I've got many more things mm. to worry about than the fact that I use a wheelchair. Um, so I think, you know, when we, when we think about labels and we think about, yeah, the labels that other people impress on us, is that we shouldn't be thinking in a one-dimensional context we shouldn't be thinking about giving any one label as Lucy as a wheelchair user or you know Alice as a guide dog owner or Carrie Ann as, as a wheelchair user because we're just people we're just human and and that means that we're many 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 different things including the fact that we just need a bit of an equipment or an animal to help us out every so often yeah yeah you know and you only have to look at our, our 
WhatsApp messages on a Friday afternoon that says, what gin are we drinking this weekend to realise that we just, you know, I think a lot of people think that if we are disabled people, we must only ever talk about disability issues. And that is not the case at all, is it really? No. My favourite gin is this lemon <laughs> sherbet gin that you can get that's got glitter in it. Amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Looks like I, you're drinking a magic potion. I like cherry bakewell gin because you can actually taste the pastry. Ooh. I'm a big fan. Did you also have one that had like a biscuit flavour? Am I remembering rightly? Uh, yes, but I can't remember what it was called because it's <laughs> been and gone. Um, but we do we do drink a lot of gin. Well, I drink a lot of gin. I I also. Well, the fact that I took you a different bottle every Friday. Do you know what I say to my mum? Oh, could you go and get me this gin? Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys tried the... Um, there's a... Aldi do an elements, elementals range or something. So it's like air, fire, water and... Oh, is it Earth? Oh. It's something else. They're like different themed. I think they sound really cool. Yeah, we need to. I think we need Noah, to that. Mm. Uh, that is the one thing we are planning when life gets back to normal, is the fact that we are going to go on a cocktail spree. Yeah. Oh, we coming out. That's a good plan. Uh, our, te- our team meetings nearly always involve cocktails. Because, best, yeah. best line yeah. manager in the world. <laughs> I need to change jobs. I'll <laughs> <laughs> have cocktails to wash it down with. Yeah. Um, yes, we are very, we are very fortunate to be able to do that. Um, I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of anything else I want to say. I guess just like where people can find me and my blog. Yes, I was going to ask you for all of your socials and everything. So go all ahead. Right. So my blog is carryanlightly.com um a couple of things i've spoken about on there so you can sign up to my regular newsletter which will give you the download of my travel planner um and then on pretty much all of my social media i'm on at carrie ann lightly blog i think twitter is at carrie a lightly um i mean you know just google carrie ann travel and you'll find me all over the place um that's and without an e isn't it Yes, apparently yeah. the top search term for my website is Carrie Ann Blogger. So there you go. There we go. Um, that's how you can see. Cheers, Carrie Ann. Thank you very much. That's right. No worries. And thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Labelled Podcast. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow us on social media at Labelled Podcast. Uh, thanks go to our editor Adam Hall, our music composer. Maisie Crunden and our graphic designer Sarah Coney. We'll We'll see see you next time. time.